0: Chapter 14. Speaking of funny, when I walked into room 102 of Goodnight Seek Tight and said, Granny, I've brought you two bologna sandwiches, Granny did not say anything at all. I, expect- I expected her to curse the very existence of a bologna, or tell me that she was not hungry, but Granny said nothing. Granny, I said. I went over to the bed. I pulled out the covers. Granny was not there. I've never been so surprised in my life. Granny, I said in a very loud voice. I was in the bathroom. I looked under the bed. And then I ran out of room 102 and I looked for the car. And guess what? It was gone. I went back into the room and I saw Granny's plaid suitcase was not on her luggage rack. I felt dizzy. The whole room was spinning. I couldn't breathe. Where would Granny go without me? I was the reason for her existence. She had told me so many times. She said that what kept her alive was looking out for me and teaching me to make the most of my gifts. I bent over and put my hands on my knees. I took deep breaths. I looked down the spinning room. That's when I saw it. An envelope with my name on it. Inside the envelope, there were several folded pieces of paper. I unfolded them very, very slowly. Dear Louisiana, those, words, those were the words written at the top of the Paris page. It was a letter. Granny had written me a letter. She'd never written me a letter. And why in the world would she write me a letter? From the very first minute of my life that I could recall, Granny was with me, and I was with her. Why would you write to them a letter when you're always and forever by their side? You wouldn't. Unless, of course, you intend not to be by their side anymore. I opened the palm tree curtains and sat down on the bed and stared at the window. I heard a a wrestling. Was it wings? Was Clarence the Crow somewhere nearby? Had he come to save me? And then, my goodness, I realized that wrestling was the letter. My hand was trembling, and the pages of the letter were brushing up against each other. It was at this point that I understood the tragedy was the process of occurring. The sky outside the window was going to be tight, was blue, blue blue-black, and the curtains had palm trees instead of peaches and Granny was gone, I could feel the world whizzing past me. I once had a teacher named Miss McGregor, who said that the world was turning very slowly on its axis. It is moving infinitesimally, Miss McGregor. Infinitesimally. She said the word very slowly. She stretched it out. Infinitesimally. Infinitesimally it is amelie so that you could hear the infinite of the word when she said it miss gregor always had dried up spit in the corner of her mouth but she was a very patient woman and a very truthful person i liked miss mcgregor i could not imagine telling her a lie but here's the thing it did not feel like the earth was moving infinitesimally. it felt like it was hurtling and jerking all the way through a lonely darkness. It's my way of thinking, you never knew where the elf was going to lurch and go somewhere expe- entirely unexpected. There is nothing infinitesimal about it. I guess that is what the curse of sundering will do to you if it has been placed upon your head. It will change how the earth itself moves. Oh, Remy and Beverly. Oh, Archie and Bunny. Oh, Granny. I looked down at the letter, and it trembled in my hands. I started to read. Chapter 14 Dear Louisiana, I read, You must be brave. Well, that first sentence made me mad. I was tired of being brave, just like I was tired of imposing and preserving. But I went on reading. I'm going to tell you some more things that you must know, that perhaps you should have known all along. I could feel my heart sink all the way down to my toes. I knew it. I knew this was a letter of goodbye. I could tell. It was almost more than I could bear. But I had to bear it, didn't I? What choice did I have? I read on. I know that the story—I know that you know the story of the curse. But what I have never told you is that I saw my father that night—the night he saw my mother in half—and he walked away without putting her back together again. I was standing at the window of the hotel room. I was waiting for the two of them to return to the theater. I was up late, later than I should have been. I looked at the window of the hotel room and I saw my father walking down the street toward the hotel. He was alone. His magician's cloak was floating around behind him, and I knew, suddenly, that he was going to tell me something important. But I did not know what it was. I could not imagine, you see. I could not imagine. My father stopped and looked up at the window of the hotel. I waved at him. He looked at me, and he turned and walked away without saying anything to me at all. And that moment when my father left without telling me anything is the moment when the curse truly began. That was a true moment of thundering. I closed my eyes. I could see small Granny, young Granny, standing at the window of the hotel room, watching her father turn and walk away from her. It made my heart hurt. Poor Granny. At least she had all her teeth then. I read on. In these last few days, my father has appeared to me again and again. In Florida, I woke up from the dream, from calling out my name, speaking to me at last, and I knew that we must go to Air immediately. That is why we are in such haste, Luciana. I felt as if I was being summoned, and now every time I close my eyes, I see him, my father. He appears out of the fog of my mind, and he calls my name, and his tone is ominous. It has become clear to me that what I must do, I must go and confront the curse. I must do it alone. Was it a good idea for Toothless toothless Feverish Granny to go and confront the curse by herself? Without me? Why not think so? But then, Granny is not soliciting my opinion, was she? I do not know what I'll find in Elfia, Louisiana. I don't know what the darkness awaits me, but I know that I must keep you safe from it. I wish that I could say goodbye to you in person, but I feel that you would insist on coming with me. Worse, I feel that you would not have the courage to go. And I must go. Oh, I do not want to leave you as my father left me. I want you to know that you are loved. I want to tell the truth of who you are. Brace yourself, Louisiana. I looked up. I stared at the palm tree curtains in the dark wall outside. I braced myself. Your parents were never known to me. What? I said out loud. I looked around room one hundred and two. What are you talking about, granny? Of course my parents are known too. My parents were the flying elephantes. They were famous far and wide. They were beautiful and talented. You have told me so many times. You and I are not related at all, Louisiana. "'We were tossed together by the winds of fate. "'Your parents were not the flying elefantes. "'They were not Chippy's artists. "'I don't know who your parents were. "'That is a mystery, and I'll be able to unravel for you.' "'Something large and dark had entered the room "'of 102 of the good night's Tite, "'and the large dark thing was sitting atop my chest. "'I could not breathe. "'If my parents were all the flying elefantes, "'then who was I? "'Read on,' whispered the dark thing on my chest. "'Read on!' After the curse befell me, I was sent to the county home, and at the county home, after sur- I surprised that miserable, miserable place, I entered the world as an adult. I moved as a solitary being and did not mind at all. I was glad to be alone. Yes, glad. For if you are alone, then you do not need to worry about the curse of sundering. I had a certain musical gift. When I was very young, my mother had taught me to play the piano. So that is what I did. I played the piano at churches. I gave saddles and lessons. And I worked at other jobs. Small jobs. Clicking, typing, cashiering. I got by. Listen, Louisiana, listen. Now we come to you. When I lived in, Orle- in New Orleans, I worked for a time at the Louisiana Five a Dime. I sat up straight. The dark thing on my chest sat up straight, too, but did not go away from me. One evening, I walked out into the alley and I heard the whimper of a small animal. I knew what was coming. Read, the dark thing said. Read, I read. It was you, Louisiana. You were impossibly small. You were wrapped in a flower blanket. Someone had put you on top of a pile of cardboard boxes and left you there. Understand, I never wanted a child. I had known it to rescue one. But I picked you up. And you smiled at me. You smiled, Louisiana. I knew what it meant to be abandoned, left behind. I knew, too, what would happen if I had notified the authorities, I knew that you would go to the orphanage, to a county home, I would not let that happen. So this is the truth. These are the facts. I picked you up, you smiled at me, I named you from where you were found, and caring for you has been the greatest joy of my life. I was named after a five and dime? I was not an elefante? Someone had left me in an alley? I couldn't breathe. I would give anything to stay here with you, but the curse will not be denied. See how it is even now getting dark and hork is pulling us apart? Please understand. I am old and very unwell, and I feel there's little time left for me. My father will not stop calling my name. I must go and face the curse. I will try to return, but in case something prevents me, in case my time is too short, I want to tell you this. Do not come after me. The curse is too dangerous. I wish that I had the time to see you in safety. But you are really resilient. You are not alone in this world. You will find a way. And please remember this. Someone put you down in that alley, but I picked you up. And perhaps what matters is when it's all is said and all is done. It is not who puts us down, but who picks us up. I have loved you with the world, the whole of myself, Louisiana. You will always and forever be loved by me. I have gone to Elfair to set us both free. Do not forget that you can see me. I love you.